Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number three of Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to be reading the first few verses of Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and they cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And I'll stop reading there. Uh, We have been discussing verse 1, and we... Uh, Saul last time that uh, the woman is a figure, a type of the true believers of the Old Testament because it, it speaks of the woman who uh, brought forth the man-child and the man-child is clearly a reference to Jesus Christ and that means that the woman had to um, be uh, the Old Testament saints of God. And we also saw that uh, the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, that all these statements in one way or another identify with God's elect. The moon under her feet means the law of God has nothing more it can do to condemn her. She is free from the law. The crown of twelve stars upon her head points to the salvation, the fullness of all those that God saved and promised to Abraham that his seed would be as the stars of heaven for multitude. And uh, we spent some time also looking at the phrase clothed with the sun. And I'd just like to mention one thing before we move on concerning that statement. Um, it, it says the woman is clothed with the sun. But uh, actually, in the Greek, the um, the tense is a, a passive, perfect participle. And it ought to be translated, having been clothed with the sun. The woman, having been clothed with the sun, that is, it, it really emphasizes the, the condition brought about is the finished result of a past action. And that would point to the foundation of the world when the Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of his people, for the woman, and he paid their penalty, and he guaranteed their salvation. They they were baptized, uh, all those whose sins were cast upon him, 
they had their sins washed away in Christ, and therefore they they were also clothed. Their their spiritual nakedness was removed, and and they were clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ and His atoning work. And since this statement in Revelation twelve one is speaking of the bringing forth of the man child, that is the time when. Jesus entered into the human race, and the Bible indicates that he was born in 7 B.C., a jubilee year, after 11,006 years of history, that uh, the woman already is clothed with the Son at that point. Before Jesus was born into the world, before, uh, much before, he had gone to the cross to uh, live out the tableau and, and to demonstrate the things he had done from the foundation of the world. And that means that this language is indicating that the atoning work of Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, was indeed accomplished before Christ was born. That's how she could have already been, having been clothed. And and uh, if you remember when we looked up that word clothed, it had to do with the garments of salvation, clothed with righteousness, and and our uh, one's nakedness being covered over, and that all points to salvation, the salvation that Christ worked for uh, again before this world began. Well, okay, let's go on to verse two of Revelation twelve. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. I I think we have a difficult time placing ourselves in the position of the people of God at, at the end of um, the Old Testament side of the cross and at the beginning of the the first century A.D., we just don't understand the situation they were in and what it must have been like for God's people to have been given promises of the coming Messiah, promises that stem back all the way to the very beginning of time. If we turn to Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, Right after the fall of man into sin, which wasn't too long from the creation of the world, we read in verse 14, And Jehovah God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now here at the very beginning, uh, right after man's fall into sin, God speaks to the serpent, who is Satan, the devil, and he says that he will put enmity between 
Satan, the serpent, and the woman. And then it, uh, it goes on to say in verse 15, the enmity will be between thy seed and her seed. Her seed eventually would be the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. What we're reading of in Revelation 12, the woman, pain to be delivered, um, travailing in birth, finally gives birth to the man-child that was promised from this time in the Garden of Eden. And remember, creation uh, occurred in the year 11,013 B.C. And the promise of God is stated here that there would be a seed of the woman that would bruise Satan's head. And, of course, many other uh, occasions in the Bible after this, that promise was reiterated and said again and again, God was promising that the Messiah, who would be God in the flesh, Emmanuel, according to Isaiah, would be born of a virgin and enter into the human race. Now, the uh, language of being born of a virgin, born of a woman, the, the language here in Genesis 3.15 of the woman's seed, it really has a dual sort of uh, purpose behind it. We know that God uh, selected Mary to be the mother of Christ, that she was used to give him a human nature and to finally deliver him into the world as as we read. Um, well, why don't we read in Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew 1, we read of this birth, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Uh, by the way, literally, that is, in womb having. She was found in womb having of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. That's the same language. Uh, a, a virgin shall in womb having, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So God chose Mary to give Jesus that human nature and he was born into the world and and in a sense this fulfilled the scriptures on one hand that of the woman would would come forth the seed and also um, a virgin shall conceive Mary was 
a virgin and gave birth uh, as a virgin to this child conceived of the Holy Spirit. But on another level, a deeper spiritual level, the woman has always been the body of believers, the elect that God typifies in the Bible as a virgin. The virgin shall bring forth the man-child, or the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ was physically born of Mary. There's no question or doubt about that. But spiritually, he was born of the people of God that had been given the promise of his coming. And the promise was given over 11,000 years, 11,006 years from 7 B.C. At the point of creation, the promise was first given, and it was said many times over the millennium. Many times God restated this in various ways throughout the Scripture. And God's people patiently, faithfully waited waited for the time that he would come, that he would be delivered. And and so we can see that she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. It, it had been so long, and and not only that, but over the last few hundred years of the Old Testament, from the time of the writing of the book of Esther until this uh, breaking of the silence that had been for these few hundred years. It was even more grievous had God forgotten his people. What about uh, all of the revelation he used to give us and then for hundreds of years there was nothing until the, the silence was broken by the proclamation of John the Baptist's birth who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. It had the time had come that Christ would be born. And, and, and so it was a very difficult labor to bring forth Christ. And, and it took such a long period of time. At the time that Christ was born, many women we find in the gospel accounts had the name of Mary, of bitter. It, it was a bitter time. Well, um, let's go on to verse 3 of Revelation 12. And there it says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Of course, this great red dragon is referring to Satan. Someone who doesn't know much about the Bible is probably aware of that. It, it's it's very obvious um, a figure that God is using pointing to the devil. And it's obvious because the color red normally in the Bible points to sin and to Satan. We saw this back in Revelation chapter 6 in verses 3 and 4 where it says, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast or living creature say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. The rider of the red horse is Satan, 
the devil. He he is the one that attempts to take peace from the earth and uh, desires to kill man. This is something he's been doing throughout the history of the world. And, and so the red dragon is already, when we see the color red, we're put on guard. It's Satan. It's a figure of Satan. It's a picture God is using to illustrate Satan himself. And then the word dragon is also a word that identifies with Satan. Um, this word is found several times in the Old Testament. It's a, a word uh, in the Hebrew. It's Strong's number 8577 that's translated in some interesting ways. This same word is translated as dragon, sea monster, serpent, and whale. And uh, we find that it often refers to Satan. In Ezekiel 29, in verse 3, it says, Speak and say, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Behold, I am against thee, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers, which has said, My river is mine own, and I have made it for myself. Now, here God is bringing together two types and and two figures that are each confirming the other. We've also known that Pharaoh is often used in the Bible as a picture of Satan, of the devil, when he refused to let the Israelites go, when he kept them in hard bondage in Egypt. That is a historical illustration of Satan keeping men locked up in the dungeon of sin and despair where they are in captivity. And, and of course, the dragon also comes in view. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon. And, and as we've seen in Revelation 12, uh, the, the dragon identifies with Satan. And we'll, we'll see confirmation of that also in a, another scripture. And so, uh, this lets us know that both Pharaoh and dragon are words that point to Satan, and that helps this whole passage when we go to Ezekiel 29, and we're able to make that kind of spiritual uh, connection, we're, we're able to see spiritually Pharaoh and the great dragon are types of Satan, then we have a big piece of information as we continue reading, looking for the spiritual truths that God has hidden here. Well, also in Ezekiel chapter 32, it says in verse 2, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say unto him, Thou art like a young lion of the nations, and thou art as a whale in the seas. And thou camest forth with thy rivers, and troublest the waters with thy feet, and foulest their rivers. And again, Pharaoh, and this word that was just translated as dragon, in chapter 29, but here is translated as a whale. It's the same Hebrew word. It could be read, Thou art as a dragon in the seas. And then, as we continue to see that God is uh, referring to seas and rivers, and that that Pharaoh, this dragon, um, troubles the waters with his feet and fallows their rivers, 
there's another bit of spiritual information. We're able then to understand all the waters, the rivers, the seas that Pharaoh, the dragon, a type of Satan, fowls. It's the gospel waters. And so we we have a beginning point to continue on in this Old Testament book with now some very solid understanding of the spiritual teaching of verse 2 concerning who Pharaoh represents, concerning the waters that he fouls, and and then we can proceed. Well, um, also, let, let's just look at one more Old Testament verse where the word dragon is found. In Isaiah 27 and verse 1, it says there, In that day Jehovah with his sore and great and strong sword. And what is the sore and great and strong sword of Jehovah? The word of God. As Hebrews 4 tells us, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And and then it continues here in Isaiah 27, 1. In that day, Jehovah with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. There is again, the dragon in the sea is slain by the sword of Jehovah. And, you know, uh, if you ever see the golden books where we read of the uh, noble knight who slays the dragon, that's really an image taken right out of the Bible. God is that noble knight. God himself, Jehovah, is the one who slays the dragon in the sea. He's the one who gave Satan a death blow at the cross. He's the one on Judgment Day, May 21, has deposed him and cast him into the spiritual fire of the Day of Judgment, which will result in his eternal destruction. God is the one through his sword, the word of God, the Bible. Now this verse in Isaiah 27.1 is also helpful because it links other words and terms to the dragon. And so we, we see Leviathan is called the piercing serpent. Leviathan, therefore, is a picture of Satan. And likewise, the piercing serpent. The language of serpent. Even Leviathan, that crooked serpent. So we see that Satan has more than one name in the Bible. He's given several names. And Revelation 20 tells us some of those names. In verse 1 and 2 of Revelation chapter 20, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And that angel or messenger is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 2, And he, the Lord Jesus, laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent. And the term serpent goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It was the serpent that deceived Eve. and That old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Four names, each one is speaking of the same evil creature, the same fallen angel, 
Satan, and God here um, refers to four names of Satan. And why four? Because it is describing the binding of Satan, the, the universal binding. He's bound everywhere in the world, everywhere, north, south, east, and west. Uh, there's, there's no place in the world at the time of the cross he was not bound and limited to fulfill the word of God according to the will of God uh, for the Lord's purpose regarding the church age. And so Satan was bound throughout the period of the church age in certain ways that God required. And yet here we see he's called a dragon. And in Revelation 12, in our verse, again in verse 3, there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. There's Satan, and of course, Jesus is about to make his appearance, and so is Satan, the, the one who is always there to oppose and, and to fight against God and his kingdom. In Revelation 6, we didn't read it, but the previous verses spoke of um, the rider of the white horse going forth. And that pictured the Lord Jesus Christ bringing the gospel. And then it was immediately followed by the rider on the red horse. And likewise here in Revelation 12, we have the woman about to give birth to the man-child Christ. And here comes Satan. He, he is constantly attempting to hinder, to oppose, to stop the uh, progress of God and, and the kingdom of God, of the things of God. Uh, this is his nature, his fallen nature. He is against God. He is anti-Christ. He is the one that is all the time uh, ready to contradict and to dispute and to speak against the things that God has said. that That's why when God opens the scriptures and says the church age is over, you'll immediately have people rise up, oh, no, it isn't, and they dispute and fight against it. When God reveals that Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world and proves it from his word, the Bible, people will rise up and dispute it and speak against it. When God says May 21, 2011 is Judgment Day, the day he will shut the door of heaven, you'll have people rise up and say, no, no man knows a day or hour. They fight against it. They dispute it. When God says he's saving a great multitude that no man can number during the second half of the Great Tribulation, you'll have people say, well, I don't see any great multitude, and they'll argue against it and dispute it. When God says, um, following that, it's judgment day and the door is now shut and he has ended his salvation program, you'll have people rise up and fight against it and dispute it. This is the nature of Satan. This is the nature of fallen men who are um, uh, tools. They're instruments of Satan. He stirs them up uh, to come against God and the truth of the word of God, whatever that truth may be, Satan is against it. 
and and uh, that's why you'll never find a truth of the Bible that is not diligently disputed and and that many people are not heavily set against because uh, it's always been the case and and actually uh, it really should be encouraging to the child of God when this happens it it's really a signal well there goes the enemy again there go there goes satan doing what satan does coming against the truth of the word of god thanks for joining us for e bible fellowship's evening bible studies you can hear these studies monday through friday over pal talk skype e bible fellowship's webcast audio or over your phone For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.